Hello and welcome to Sports in the Waiting Room. I am your host, Chris Russo. This is episode 18 being recorded and distributed on March 3rd, 2021. A lot to discuss this week. Hope you're doing well at home, still waiting on the vaccine or, or, or trying to get it. Just, uh, just hope you are safe at the moment. I know I'm doing all right and can only hope the best for you. We have a lot to discuss this week, as I mentioned, a lot of NHL, NFL free agency discussion, as well as a little bit about just kind of briefs pretty much with the NBA, a little bit about the NHL with some injury news in particular, and just getting spring training underway in Major League Baseball. So we, we begin in the NFL, and of course the biggest story of the week, there were probably two big stories. One was probably Russell Wilson, but we'll start with J.J. Watt, and that is that J.J. Watt agreed to a two-year, $31 million contract deal with the Arizona Cardinals. $23 million of that 31 is guaranteed. Watt, first off, as I go off into a little tangent already, Watt will continue to wear number 99. If you did not know, even I didn't know this, even though I'm a history and sports nerd, Watt will wear number 99, even though it was previously retired for Chicago Cardinals. Remember, Chicago, remember they were the Chicago Cardinals. Halfback, that's right, a halfback wore 99, 99 at one point. Marshall Goldberg, uh, thanks to the blessing of the late Goldberg's daughter, Ellen. If you did not know about Marsh, Marshall Goldberg, I, I did some research on him. Pretty fascinating story. First off, one of the, you know, there are, there's not a long list of, uh, and obviously this should not be the primary focus, but there's not a long list of Jewish players in the NFL, particularly at that time. So that, that was one thing of note. Goldberg played eight seasons in the NFL, all with the Cardinals. He is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but he is in the College Football Hall of Fame. He won the 1947 NFL Championship, and might I mention, I believe that was the last of the two. The Cardinals have won two NFL championships. They have not won since they were in Chicago. They, they've moved to St. Louis since then, and they moved to Arizona after that. And they actually have the longest championship drought of any of the teams in the big four sports leagues, MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, now that the Cubs have won. And I'll actually get a little more into that later on. But he won the NFL championship in 1947 with the Cardinals, and his career was actually interrupted because he served as a Navy lieutenant for, I believe, two years in World War II. Uh, so uh, just a very impressive life, and, it, and it's nice that, that Watt was able to get his daughter's blessing, and you know this is kind of a big part of a bigger conversation if you actually think about it. And the most important thing here is JJ Watt, but football. If you notice, football is a sport where there are so many guys on the roster. You think about it; it's a fifty-two man roster. There are half as many. There are half. Uh, there are more. There are fifty-two players on a roster. There are only ninety-nine available numbers. So more than half the numbers are taken. Because I don't think anybody wears, I don't think anybody can wear a zero in the NFL. But more than half the numbers are taken, and they're relegated to certain positions. So, like linemen can only wear offensive linemen can only wear sixties and seventies. You know, you're limited to maybe like two tens, if you know what I mean. So, so it's something where football is a sport where there are so many guys on the roster that it really is difficult to put a number out of commission. And that's why I wonder if the NFL will just. Either stop retiring numbers, or stop retiring numbers, and or bring them out of, bring them out of retirement, and that's 
That's why you see so many teams, you'll see the ring of honor in the NFL and, and you'll just see the names of players with their number, but the number won't necessarily be retired. It's so tough to do in the NFL and I doubt they'll ever go to three digit numbers because that would just be one kind of crazy, two harder to print and three, I say this from personal experience, I think it would be harder to, for a broadcaster to number to memorize triple digits, uh, especially if there are still double digits or single digits on there. But anyway, that's beside the point, just getting back to this. So J.J. Watt signs for 15 and a half a year with the Cardinals. That seems a little excessive considering the way he's, considering his, how injury prone he's been and the way he's played in the last couple of years or so. But the truth is, if you notice, Leonard Williams is, a, if Leonard Williams is asking for, I think, it was like, I think he's asking for like 17 or 18, then J.J. Watt is worth 15 and a half. Now, I, uh, there was a report that came out very, very shortly before Watt said he was going to the Cardinals that I think he was, turned out to be a false report, obviously, that he was down to three teams. I think it was the Bills, the Packers, and I want to say the Titans. I can't remember for sure, but it, uh, I don't know. I, I was surprised, first off, that the Steelers were not on that list, and I'm obviously more surprised that the Cardinals aren't that, on that list. Now look, here was here's what I would have done. And look, I've never played in the NFL. The most I've played is flag football through eighth grade. But this is not. This did not have to be a football decision. This could this could have been a fam, a family decision. And I, I think a lot of people would have would have said the same thing. I would have signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers if I were JJ Watt because you have both your brothers, you have both your siblings playing with the Steelers. And a team that, I know the team that's kind of in a bit of a limbo right now because I don't think they've committed quite to Roethlisberger. And, you know, the Pouncey brothers retired. There's a lot of free agent free agency. I think they have a few guys that are free agents. It's a strange time in Pittsburgh. But I, look, that's where I would have gone. And granted, my brother is a pain in the behind at times. But I still, look, if I had the opportunity to go play with my brother in the NFL, even after, especially after having played 10 years in the NFL already, if I had a chance, then I would have done it. I would have gone and signed. But yeah, and then I think the second selection, I thought he was going to Green Bay because he was from because he's from Wisconsin and grew up a Packer fan. But give Watt credit because well, one, he got apparently the highest offer from Arizona. But two, th- this was his reason. He, well, he went somewhere he thinks he can win. So he cited reasons for going there. He cited uh, players and coaches. Cited in particular Kyler Murray and his former teammate DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, they're on the other side of the ball. But, uh, look, Kyler Murray, I'm not going to say Kyler Murray's as good as Deshaun Watson, but Deshaun Watson clearly does not want to be in Houston anyway. And he might, he really might just sit down next year as opposed to sucking it up, which I understand. If he wants out, then he doesn't have to play. Hopkins, though, obviously... Bill O'Brien made a huge mistake in trading DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona. They were the wide receiver situation in Arizona is better than it is in Houston. So even though that's not on J.J. Watt's side of the ball, there's a plus. Then he also mentioned Vance Joseph, who I did not realize worked under Wade Phillips. I believe when Wade Phillips was the defensive coordinator in Houston. So I think I think Joseph was an assistant. So they worked. So Watt and Joseph worked together for three years. So that's another thing. Vance Joseph, very good defensive mind. He obviously, you know, didn't work out that well as a head coach, but very, very smart defensive mind. 
And it's a Cardinals team with a defense that is pretty dangerous, actually, and a defense that has risen to one of the best in the NFL, probably a top 10 at least. Watt cited Chandler Jones, who is an outstanding pass rusher and will really work well on the other side of, of Watt and be able to draw some attention for him and vice versa. And Buda Baker in, in the secondary, a, a, a team that has really been able... They, they really found a guy who could replace Tyron Matthew. And look, the Cardinals are not the team to beat in the NFC West, at the moment at least, because you still have... Look, I don't know what the hap, I don't know what happens with the Niners if and when they get everybody healthy. But, you know, they're still going to have Kyle Shanahan. They're going to have that roster. Then you have the Rams, who just traded for Matt Stafford and have maybe the, have probably the scariest defense in football and probably the maybe the best defensive player, probably the top two defensive tackle of all time in Aaron Donald. And then you have the Seahawks, who have Russell Wilson for now. But, I'll get into that a little more in a, in a second, actually. But, still... The Cardinals, especially with a with the third wild card now, where fourteen, where all four teams in a in a division can make it to the playoffs, the Cardinals could be a dangerous team because they do have a, a good offense, a, a great quarterback who can make plays, the best wide receiver in football probably, and a really solid defense. I mean, there have been some questions in terms of, I don't know, maybe the offensive line and, I don't know, the running game. But J.J. Watt went to a place where he, can think he, where he thinks he can win, and that's understandable. Now, the NFC West is not exactly stable because I did mention the Niners had a lot of injuries. And even after winning the NFC Championship and coming within seven minutes of winning the Super Bowl, probably, they could not... They they lost so many guys due to injury, and I know that was part that was you know the pandemic too. But they lost so many guys due to injury, and it was just a team that really went downhill. They went from what probably like twelve wins the year they won the NFC Championship down to six. That really says something considering they lost so many guys that that they still won that they still actually won six games and were competitive in some more of those, but. The Niners are a, question, are a big question mark. The Rams, meanwhile, I mean, they got knocked out in the divisional round with Jared Goff. Matt Stafford is, I think, a better quarterback and probably one of the more underrated quarterbacks of all time because he has not had great defenses around him. But the thing is, he goes to L.A., and first off, he's going to have to adjust to, to that offense and that team and that division. But, you know, it's also a more banged-up Matt Stafford. If you, put a, if you put 2009 Matt Stafford on this team or 2011 Matt Stafford on this team, they are frightening and they are probably the favorite to win the Super Bowl. But Stafford is a guy who has really taken some tough hits in 12 years in a Lions uniform. You know, this is a guy who's like 33 now, 34, and he's and he's on the back end of his career. So nothing is guaranteed there. And then Seattle, Russell Wilson, apparently, I don't know if he wants out, but he is willing to leave for the right team. 
I'll, I'll get I'll get to that in a moment. So Cardinals, they they could find a road. They could find a hole in there. Now, the Cardinals, as I mentioned, also have the longest drought in the Big Four Pro Sports Leagues. So, J.J. Watt would be beloved in Arizona forever if he can deliver them a championship. I know there's not as much of a difference now. It's not as, you know, it's not like the Cubs and the Curse of the Billy Goat or, or the Red Sox and the Curse of the Bambino. Uh, it, it's not 1940 with the Rangers. It's, you know, it's not some of these teams that have waited for, it's not uh, the, the Black Sox scandal, Curse of the White Sox. It's not these teams that have waited now for 80, 90, 100 plus years, but the Cardinals have waited a long time, and anyone who st- has stayed with that fan base, who has somehow stayed with that fan base from Chicago until now, anyone who's that old to still appreciate old enough to still appreciate that team, it's a small few, uh, it's an oxymoron, but it's a small group of people, but they will love J.J. Watt, and J.J. Watt will never have to buy a meal in Arizona or in the, or the city of Phoenix or Glendale ever again if he could deliver them a championship. Because, I mean, they, they've, wait, they've gone from Chicago to St. Louis where they created a noticeable fan base, and then they moved out to, to Phoenix. And and it's been 74 years since the Cardinals won a title, the longest active drought in pro sports. So if J, if J.J. Watt wins a championship in Arizona, it would be, although he will not be as dominating physically, I don't believe, as he would be in Houston, it will be more impressive than if he delivered a Super Bowl to Houston. It will be. So... Moving on to the quarterback, another big name in the NFC West, Russell Wilson. So, Russell Wilson has waived his no-trade clause for four teams. Now, it's going to be four teams, three in the NFC, one in the AFC. The Chicago Bears, the Dallas Cowboys, the Las Vegas Raiders, that's weird to say and the New Orleans Saints. So, look, first off, I'm someone who focuses a lot on geography, so I fig- so I figured he's from Richmond, maybe he'd want to go play for Washington, but clearly Seattle's a better situation than Wa- Seattle's a better team than Washington is anyway, probably, even if you put him in a Washington uniform. So, geographically speaking, let me let me just start off with that. Not to say it's the best football move, but here's geographically speaking. Chicago would be the closest of the four, I believe, to his hometown of Richmond, Virginia. Now, his wife, Sierra, famous singer, was apparently an army brat growing up, but she settled, her family settled in Atlanta, so New Orleans would be a lot closer, and that would make some sense. That, so that, that, I'll just get the geography stuff out of the way. Now, from a football standpoint, New Orleans, I would probably say, is the clear-cut winner, because the Saints are the closest to a championship, the, the, Saint, the Saints swept the Super Bowl champions in the regular season last year. They were the two seed in the NFC. Now an NFC that is not as strong this year, but a two seed in the NFC nonetheless behind an MVP winning Aaron Rodgers. So, look, the, the Saints I thought were going to be probably the team to beat 
in the NFC last year. I thought they were going to blow through Tampa Bay. And despite the mistakes that Drew Brees made in that game, the Saints still kept it close for a while. And they were still in it for, I don't know, until maybe the last five or seven minutes of that game. And had they gotten through that, I mean, considering what Tampa Bay did at Green Bay, Saints had the pass rush probably to beat Aaron Rodgers. So look, if Russell Wilson gets traded to the Saints, it'd probably be a perfect fit because you go from one great quarterback, one all-time great quarterback to another through, through a trade somehow, not, not through the draft, not that, not that transition, but through the draft, and it'd be even more impressive. But Wilson would probably have to take a, I would think, have to take a small pay cut because of the free agent signings that the Saints are trying to make. They, like the Steelers, the Saints have a lot of contracts to sign this year. Now, Dallas and Las Vegas have, I think, far stronger offensive lines than that of Seattle. That's the biggest problem, I, I think, for Wilson. Though the quarterback position is probably where Dallas least needs an upgrade, except maybe wide receiver. I know Dak Prescott may cost a lot, but I, 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 in terms of the level of play, I don't know if there's that big a difference. And truth is, Russell Wilson should probably cost more. Russell Wilson, I'm not going to say he will, but Russell Wilson should cost more than a quarterback than, da- than Dak Prescott should anyway. Uh, so, look, I don't, I don't know if he's going to go to Dallas. I would probably, I would probably bet against that. And the Raiders, I don't know. I feel like Derek Carr's been there long enough that he's kind of shown he hasn't been the problem. Clearly, Derek Carr hasn't been the problem in Las Vegas or Oakland, for that matter. And Dak Prescott hasn't been the problem in Dallas. I. So, look, New Orleans needs a quarterback. Chicago needs a quarterback. Those would be the two that would make sense for me. I don't know. but And, and the Bears the Bears have some weapons. They're not bad. Saints have more weapons. Saints are the closest to a championship because they have a good defense, good offensive line, and good weapons. Bears have a, a great defense. They have, so, they have some weapons. They have Allen Robinson. And they have good enough, uh, fairly good offensive line, I guess. They have an okay offensive line. And they have the coaching. So, but the Saints would be the best place for him to go. Now look, when this all started, this whole, these Wilson rumors a few weeks ago, I didn't think he wanted out. I think he just wanted a better offensive line because he hasn't had that for a while. And he had that a lot more so when the Seahawks were really just a pure running team when they won the Super Bowl behind Marshawn Lynch. But the Seahawks have not gotten him a better offensive line or improved their defense. And the fact that he still carried them to, what, I think 10 wins last year and got them to the playoffs and won the division just is makes, it, makes him all the more impressive and kind of shows how much talent he has with how, with how little he has around him. So, I, I don't know. I Wilson, kudos to him if he gets out because... You know, the other thing, I've been thinking about this. How much different, really, is this if Pete Carroll just tells him to give the ball to Marshawn Lynch at the one-yard line? Think about it, because, one, he's in a lot higher esteem. Clearly, I mean, this was more Marshawn Lynch's team on offense when they won the Super Bowl. But you think about it, you beat 
Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in consecutive years in the Super Bowl. You win two in a row. That's rare enough. You'd be the first team to do it since New England. And, I mean, more guys probably would want to go play for Seattle. You get a boost financially, obviously. And I feel like there would be some sort of a domino effect. I don't know if the offense would have opened up as much as it did, but I think Russell Wilson probably would have been even more respected by his own team if his team had made the right decision. If, if his coach had made the right decision just to say, we'll give the football to the best running back in the NFL from three feet out and we'll win the Super Bowl. So I don't know. that They haven't gotten to... I don't think they've gotten to the NFC Championship game since then. They definitely haven't gotten to the Super Bowl since then. So it's just been weird for Seattle. It's been a really weird sort of in-between time since then, even though Russell Wilson has gotten exponentially better as a pure thrower of the football, a deep ball thrower, and just as a quarterback in general. But now it, it may be time for him to leave the nest. Pun intended. So moving on to a couple of lesser a couple of lesser recognized moves in the NFL this week. And that would be one, the Minnesota Vikings releasing Kyle Rudolph after ten seasons. And Kyle Rudolph I know Kyle Rudolph is not exactly you know, he's not Travis Kelsey, he's not Rob Gronkowski, not Tony Gonzalez or, or Kellen Winslow, but that is a guy who has been, I would argue, the best tight end in the history of the Minnesota Vikings, a very well-respected franchise. Ten years, ten years with the Vikings. And obviously, you know, overshadowed by Adrian Peterson in particular, and then more recently, Stephon Diggs and now Adam Thielen. But you want to talk about a guy who's, a, who's been a real safety valve for the Minnesota Vikings over the last 10 years. Now, he doesn't have Hall of Fame numbers, per se, but he has been utterly consistent for this franchise, averaging about 450 yards a season, 4,488 yards in 140 games, 132 starts. And this past year was the first time he had not played all 16 games since 2014. He had played in 80 consecutive games from 15 through 19, and then he played in 12 this past year, 48 touchdowns, 4,488 yards, a career high, 840 yards in 2016. And uh, not great in the, eh, okay, in the postseason, I guess, I don't know. 154 yards in six games, two touchdowns. But a guy who's been a real pure safety valve for the Minnesota Vikings over the last 10 years, and I guess they really need the money. I hope somebody goes out and signs him because I think he's good enough that he can still play. His numbers did not go down that far. His numbers this year were actually, in 12 games as opposed to 16 games last year, were probably actually better. He had more yards per game and... Uh, and more yards per catch, I believe. But in the last couple of years, falling off a little bit, 
I don't know. I hope somebody signs him. He's from Cincinnati. I think the Bengals would be a good signing. You know, good good way to somebody who would be good to to meant to help get Joe Burrow through his second year and help him start to mature. But that's it for him in Minnesota after ten seasons. Speaking of Kyle, Kyle Van Noy is also on his way out. This one was a lot more surprising, I believe. Miami Dolphins released Kyle Van Noy after signing a four-year deal last year. He signed a four-year, $51 million deal that included $30 million guaranteed and a $12 million signing bonus. It reunited him with Brian Flores from New England. And for some reason, even after last year tying or breaking a setting a new career high for pass deflections uh, and tying career highs in forced fumbles and fumble recoveries. He was somehow released. I, I don't know who the, the Dolphins are trying to sign that they let him go and how much they, they apparently will save by making this move. Okay, well, apparently they're going to clear about nine points, just under $10 million dollars. But Kyle Van Noy apparently said he was surprised and disappointed by Miami's decision to release him. If you look at his stats, he's only gotten better in his last three years, probably. When he was in New England, he had one sack in seven games in the second half of his 2016 season when they won the Super Bowl against Atlanta. Did not he had one he had a pick in the Super Bowl no sacks he's never had a sack in the he had a pick in the playoffs he's had, he's never had a sack in the postseason then the next year the Patriots go back to the Super Bowl and he has more than one sack for the first time in his career he has five and a half sacks he has fifty eight solo tackles a career high seventy three combined tackles in two thousand eighteen the Patriots win the Super Bowl he plays in every game. He recovers, he recovers fumbles and gets into the end zone for the first time in his career. He has a pick. He has a career-high 92 tackles, three-and-a-half sacks. Last year, with New England, 2019 in New England, his final year in New England, in 15 games, he recorded a career-high six-and-a-half sacks, 56 tackles, and he has only gotten better. He has only gotten better in the last three or four seasons. And again, I think he got better in his first year in Miami, even though he missed two games. And, uh, and the Dolphins obviously got a lot better because the Dolphins went to 10-6, and six, and they barely missed the playoffs. So clearly the Dolphins were doing something right. I don't know who they are trying to sign with this. I would think uh, probably a, a wide receiver, I'm guessing. I don't know. Maybe, uh, but uh, just a bad move. Just a bad move. And knowing Bill Belichick and knowing Kyle Van Noy is really going to be let down by this and that the Dolphins are probably going to have to pay him, probably had to probably had to pay him a little bit to buy him out, I think Bill Belichick is probably going to know he can get this guy for a little cheaper and bring him back. Because now that, obviously, Bill Belichick is going to have to get a quarterback because it looks like it looks like Cam Newton's on the way out. I, I don't quite know why. I thought he played well enough. The te- team won, I think, six or seven, won seven games, I think. And he was kind of like a Lamar Jackson type quarterback this year. He just just turned over the just turned over the ball more. I think that was the difference. 
But the Patriots won some games this year, and obviously Bill Belichick is going back for the first time since before he had Tom Brady to being a purely and solely really defensive coach. And now if he were to go out and get Kyle Van Noy at his, close to his height probably, close to his prime, he's 29 years old, and he could probably get him for a decent price, it would actually be a brilliant move by Bill Belichick, I think, to go out and sign him again. It would make a lot of sense for him to, for him to make that move. And, and Belichick will bring back guys. He's done it before. So that'll do it for the, the NFL portion of the show. We'll come back and we'll, we'll break down some of the briefs of the NBA, the NHL, and the early portion of spring training. We're very happy to have it back here on Sports in the Waiting Room. Welcome back into sport, to Sports in the Waiting Room. I'm your host, Chris Russo. We're going to be talking a little bit here about the NBA. First off, the Phoenix Suns defeating the Los Angeles Lakers, defending world champion L.A. Lakers. And I know, you know AD has been uh, hurt for a little while, but I mean, the, the fact is, you know, if, you, if you're a Laker fan, you would think you should be, be beating the Suns on a regular basis. Suns win by the score of 114-104 in Los Angeles. I don't believe, there might be some fans back. I'm not sure if there are fans back. I would think if there are fans back in New York, there have to be fans back anywhere. But the Suns win it on Tuesday night by the score of 114-104 in Los Angeles. They led by as many as 14. The Lakers led by no more than two in this ballgame. Turnovers 14-12 favoring the Lakers. Suns did a much better job from the free throw line. They shot 55% from downtown. It's probably the most important thing. But the Suns have proven, finally legitimately proven, besides just the standings, that they are actually a team to beat in the Western Conference. Now, uh, And Devin Booker got tossed. Devin Booker got tossed out of the game, too. And yet they still won, which is incredibly impressive. Booker finished with 17, but he only played 23 minutes. Meanwhile, Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder played upwards of 35 minutes. Chris Paul, Chris Paul played 33 minutes. Didn't score a point, but he, excuse me, he had 8 points. He didn't have a plus-minus. He had a plus-minus of 0, but he had 10 assists in the game. And particularly with Chris Paul coming in and running the offense now, the Suns, I think, are a legitimate team. LeBron went off. LeBron had 38, but the secondary scoring, not much. Three other players with 10 or more. Markeith Morris at 10. Dennis Schroeder at 17. Talon Horton Tucker at 16. But they contained Harold Caldwell Pope at only, at only 4. Caruso only at 7. And they did a great job containing that secondary scoring. So it might be different when Anthony Davis comes back. But a big, big victory for the Phoenix Suns. You look at it, the Suns are, I think, still fourth in the West as, as the, at the time I record this. But they, are, they actually have a... Uh, like as good, if not a better record than the 76ers in the Eastern Conference, the, the top team in the Eastern Conference, which is incredible. So look at that Western Conference, and Utah is well atop everybody. And then there's the you know, there's the Lakers with without AD, and then you have the Clippers who were without Kawhi Leonard on Tuesday night and lost to the Celtics, not by much, to be fair. And and then you have the Suns. So the Western Conference, once, once again, is deeper than the Eastern Conference. Now, moving back to the Eastern Conference, of course, I have to mention that I'm going to mention the two teams around here. Knicks fans got delirious after they reached 500 for the first time in God knows how long. They are, after their loss to the Spurs, 18-18. Now, to be fair, there was no Derrick Rose in that game, but the Spurs were also without LaMarcus Aldridge. And so, 
But the, the fact is the Knicks were ahead of the Celtics for the second. They're, they're neck and neck with them. And I don't know you can say the Celtics are underachieving, but you can also say that the Knicks have been a well-coached organization. And they've beat, that's the biggest difference, obviously, is their coaching. But some of their some of their free agency and, and, and draft, uh, their job in the draft, I think they've done an excellent job. So it, it's funny, though. The Eastern Conference is still wide open. Look. At the moment, the Sixers are probably the team to beat. Well, really, the Nets might be the team to beat in terms of pure offensive talent. Speaking of the Nets, they've won nine of their last ten, and they trail the 76ers by only a half game for the lead in the Eastern Conference, despite being in the same division. But, of course, they've gotten rid of that, that dumb rule where it's the top the three division winners get the top three seeds. The Atlantic Division may be the most stacked in the Eastern Conference, considering the Sixers are to- uh, Sixers and the Nets are the top two, and then you have the Celtics and the Knicks like neck and neck. And I mean, you look at even the Raptors. You know, they're not. Look, obviously, Kawhi's got. Well, the Raptors are five. Never mind, the Raptors are five. Of the six teams in the Eastern Conference at the moment that would not have to play in the play-in, five of them are from the Atlantic Division. It's Sixers, Nets, Bucks, Celtics, Raptors, Knicks. It's unbelievable, and in, even the Heat. The Heat have finally woken up. They've got, they've gotten back to just under five hundred to seventeen and eighteen. Charlotte, Indiana, Chicago, uh, thir- there are fourteen teams separated by ten games, and then the Pistons are a lot further below everybody. But it's an Eastern Conference that again should be really fun to watch down the stretch. Now, West again better than the East. Look at the West, and I take it back. The Suns now have. Tied the Lakers in terms of uh, you know, win-loss and are barely ahead of them in win percentage. Three and a half back of the Jazz. It's Jazz, Suns, Lakers, Clippers, and the Clippers are like narrowly, I think they're about a game behind the Sixers. Jazz, Suns, and Lakers are all better than the Sixers by in terms of the standings. Clippers are four, Spurs. I'm surprised that Greg Popovich has gotten them to 18 and 13 because they don't have a great roster. But he's, again, done a phenomenal job. He's like, Greg Popovich at this point is almost like Bill Belichick in that, you know, his big guys are gone. Belichick lost Brady. Look, I think that's different because I think think Belichick is almost as good a coach as Brady as a quarterback. Like, they were equal, I think, to their success. But Greg Popovich, no Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Kawhi wanted out. They're all gone, and now he's rebuilt, and this team's still a five-seed in the Western Conference. They've remained competitive, and it's really impressive. So it's fun, though. It's fun that, unlike a couple years ago when we would just see, or three years or so ago, that you would just see Golden State and Cleveland in the finals every year, which, again, was fun to watch, but it was a different kind of fun. I love seeing parody in the NBA because unfortunately unfortunately the NBA has been a type of it's been a type of league where it's usually just one or two teams that dominate the league that's why the Celtics and the Lakers have combined for well over a third of the league's titles all time but but again you're finally going to see some you're starting to see some dominant teams in smaller market cities obviously we always think of Boston Los Angeles New York, even though they obviously haven't been as successful, and then Chicago, the playing home for maybe the greatest athlete of all time, definitely the best basketball player of all time, 
and now you finally see start to see some of this do dominance from the smaller markets. Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City, Utah leads the Western Conference, and not with probably anyone as dominant as Stockton and Malone, but even with LeBron in LA, two got LeBron and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard running LA. Utah still leads the West, and they haven't lost double-digit double games at this point. And you have to wonder whether they can keep that success rolling for the rest of the regular season, let alone into the postseason. All right, moving on from the NBA, we'll, we'll do some NHL briefs here. First off, Sidney Crosby, obviously the Pittsburgh Penguins, placed in COVID-19 protocol this past week. Not to say that he has it, and I believe he was the only one who was placed in it. Uh, but, you know, hope for his health first off. Penguins still beat the Flyers by three goals. Uh, the team, ju just to note here, Pittsburgh, even though I said they, they should have broken down instead of going out and trading for Kasperi Kapanen, it's paid off so far. They're, they're like, on the edge of that playoff spot, of that last playoff spot in the, in the now it's the Atlantic Division yet again since everything realigned this year. Remember that the team won roughly two-thirds of their games without him last year, even though he left, even when he was out due to injury. So it's a Pittsburgh team that's still fairly deep, not as deep as they were when they won, uh, when they won the whole thing a few years ago, but it's still a team with some depth and a team that can win without Crosby if necessary. Moving to, moving to a team that has not had as much success, but it's still a fairly significant injury, the Ottawa Senators have lost Derek Stepan for the year with a torn labrum. He's expected to be back by the start of the 2021-22 season. Obviously traded for him this past year. And I know it's, it's a team that that's already in last place. They're eight points out of the they're eight points behind the team closest in front of them in the Canada division. But it's just more rough news for a team already in last place. Even though he's he's a not exactly a huge pro, he's not it's not Thomas Shabbat. But he's, it's a significant injury. And speaking of significant injuries, the Nashville Predators lose Ryan Ellis for four to six weeks with an upper body injury. And that is pretty big because along with Roman Yossi, he has commanded the blue line with Nashville. Predators are eight points out of the four spot in the central. And that, that's going to be a huge loss. One last thing for the NHL, Alex Chason suspended one game for cross-checking Jimmy Vc in the head after the Oilers-Maple Leafs game on Monday. It was after the buzzer sounded and as the Maple Leafs were going to celebrate their victory that Chason and Vz started talking to each other. You can find this on the NHL website if you just look this up. It's uh, The NHL does a great job of explaining their... Uh, punishments and suspensions uh, and explaining the reasoning for it. And they did a good job. They suspended Chase on for one game with a very, just a nasty cross check to the head and neck area of Jimmy VC. And it's even worse because it was, uh, it was, at, it was well after play was over. The buzzer had sounded half the Maple Leafs organization, half the Maple Leafs organization was off the bench. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what a hockey stick is really like, hockey sticks are no longer just wood. It's bad enough if you cross-check the guy in the face with wood, but, like, they are more, 
it's more of a synthetic kind of blend. It's sort of, there's like, I think there's some metal in there. It's a lot different from what a hockey stick used to be. So it's, it's even worse. These are like, these are, it's even more serious to cross check a guy. It's a lot more firm. Sticks are a lot more firm in the NHL now. And, and I'm saying this just from being close up to hockey sticks at the junior level. So I can only imagine how manufactured and thicker and how harder it is to break uh, for, for, these, uh, for these guys to, uh, to try to break these sticks. So it's a dangerous offense. I'll wrap up the show with some discussion. Spring training is back. I won't go into specifics with you know any of the games or anything because spring train you know preseason doesn't make a huge difference. It doesn't make a difference in terms of standings. The games don't actually matter. But it's so nice to have spring training games back, and there are fans. I mean, the truth is, we probably should have had fans at outdoor events all over the place a while ago, uh, last summer for baseball games in particular, but. It, in Florida, in nice 70, 75 degree weather, 80 degree weather, which I would absolutely love right now. And it just gives you hope, not only that baseball is going to be back, but that people are going to be in the stands for baseball games because we did not have any last year until the postseason. And now there are people in gorgeous weather. And it's not just that. It just get, It's a sign that spring is finally going to come because this has been... A fairly rough winter, kind of in and out. I know there have been times where the temperature's been a little higher, but there has been so much snow here in the Northeast. I have actually become addicted to shoveling just just so I can get out of the house and have some sort of time to myself. Because if you can't tell in editing here, part of it is I my I think my mom was like going in and out of the house. And yeah, I know I'm 22 and I still live with my parents, but that's, you know, that that's unfortunately how things are working out. That's unfortunately the situation that we were in because of the pandemic and because of school and everything. Uh, but the alarm kept going off because people kept coming in and, out of, in and out of the house. So I had to keep editing and I had to stop talking for, for a while. And so I, it's just nice to be able to know that we're not far away from things going back to normal. And, and even before that, People just being able to get out of the house, get some, uh, well, for me, when I was shoveling, just some solitude, but now we'll get some warm weather and, and some human interaction in person. And and ju- just having baseball and some sort of normalcy after the deepest, darkest, one of the deepest, darkest winters we've ever had, not from a, not from a weather standpoint, but from a... A, a mental standpoint and just, you know, being separated from each other. It's going to be so good to have baseball back. I, I know people say that, you know, football is, you know, the most popular sport, but baseball is America's pastime. And just to get back somewhat to normal is a blessing. Um, and la- one last thing from uh, free agency here, uh, Gio Gonzalez, who is a native of Hialeah, Florida. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Cause I've, from, from uh, being down there a number of times in that area of Florida. Uh, Gio Gonzalez agrees to a minor league deal with his hometown, Miami Marlins. And now, obviously, Gonzalez is not what he was in 2012 when he won 21 games and led the league 
You know, he's not a guy who can throw 200 innings anymore. I don't think that's what they're trying to find. Obviously, that's why they signed him to a minor league deal. But he gets an invite, and as little as two or three, as little as 2009, as recently as 2019 and 2018, he was still a fairly good, a good methodical pitcher in Major League Baseball. 2019 in Milwaukee went three and two with a 3.50 in 17 starts. In 2018, he was traded after a rough early portion of the season with Washington. He was traded down the stretch to the Brewers, went 3-0 with a 2.13 ERA and five starts, helped take that team all the way to the National League Championship Series and within one win of going to the World Series. Now, the Marlins, a lot of people forget how much noise the Marlins made late in the regular season, right, late in the regular season and in the postseason last year. After losing so much of their team to COVID and and having so many of their games delayed, a lot of people forget that they are a good young organization with some good pitching. They have a solid young rotation of Sandy Alcantara, or Alcantara, I keep forgetting that, uh, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, and Sixto Sanchez. It's a really good rotation already. Gio Gonzalez, I think, would be a perfect fifth guy. Could be a good swingman, perhaps, to be... You know the, the the possible sixth sixth starter or, or or your middle relief guy, and that would be something even bigger if they could get to the postseason. I know that the National League East is as stacked as any division in baseball this year, but that uh, that is a team that will be making waves in the next few years, and Gio Gonzalez could be a good bridge for this team as a fifth starter or as a middle reliever. I know, look, obviously he's better as a starter, and I think that's where he should be, but the, the Marlins are, are, are doing, a, doing a smart thing, just uh, taking a flyer on him, taking a waiver on him. So that'll do it for us for the program this week. Ran a little short, but I think we put out a good program. I am very appreciative of, of uh, any of you who, who did listen, and I hope I hope this show is making some sort of a difference for you. I know it. I, it's helped me a little bit in terms of just venting a little bit, not just about sports, but about life and, and just tr- trying to get back to normalcy, as I, as I mentioned down the stretch of the show here uh, in the kind of spring training conversation. So thank you again for listening, and we will, and I, you will hear me next week on Sports in the Waiting Room.